Hey everyone, it's Keith McPherson here, and welcome to another edition of the podcast. Every week I speak to a thought leader, someone in the world that's really making change, making a difference, and has something to inspire us by. I'm so excited about this week's episode, so sit back, tune in, and let's connect. Hey everyone, Keith McPherson here, and I hope this finds you well wherever you are listening on the planet right now to this episode of Let's Connect. Today on the podcast, a lot of really, really exciting moments. I'm going to be speaking with a very, very incredible woman coming up right away. Uh, Someone that I met recently at a talk I was giving who just inspired me. She came up and literally it felt like wisdom speaking and have you ever had one of those moments where you just you meet somebody and you just know that you you need to connect with them for me that was uh, Joanne Clausen and today on the podcast she's going to be joining us and you will see as you listen to this just how much she has to share about how to connect especially to a place that she calls your inner child that creative place that so many of us forget to tap into So before we uh, get to speaking with Joanne, uh, just a couple things I wanted to mention that are really new and exciting that are happening. Um, First of all, I wanted to let you know, especially those of you that are educators and teachers that are listening, that this past week I just launched a brand new daily intention program with a dear friend of mine, Shar Jackson, who also um, happens to be a teacher and just an incredible woman who brings mindfulness into her classroom. And for me, one of my major, major visions is to have more and more mindfulness practice exploding in classrooms because we're living in a world where students especially are being raised in a culture of just more noise, more busyness, more pressure. And I can't think of a better thing to do than offer them some balance, these students, by slowing down and connecting. It's my vision that uh, these daily intentions perhaps could be even read over the announcements in the morning at a school, just to set the tone for the day. Uh, These are written for students, teachers, actually they're written for everyone, especially those of you that subscribe to my current daily intention and find yourself going, what the heck did he mean? Shar and I made these intentions really, really accessible, especially for students, but uh, everyone's invited to read them daily. So to sign up for those, if you're interested, uh, you get it in your email box every morning. You can visit ponolifeschools.com. That's P-O-N-O, schools spelled out. Dot com. So ponolifeschools.com. And you're probably wondering, what does Pono Life exactly mean? Uh, pono is a Hawaiian word. It, it means transparency and truth. It's a way of being in the world. It's this idea that effectiveness is the measure of truth. And for me, it's a real core value of mine to live from a place of Pono. Uh, there's a saying in my book, Ika Pono Mea. Um, meaning everything is happening truthfully, perfectly on time. So there's the meaning of Pono for you as well. All right. Um, Next, I also wanted to just, before we get to the interview with Joanne, share a little bit, um, foreshadowing actually the interview with Joanne, a little bit about one of my mentors. Her name was Louise Hay. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with Louise Hay, she wrote a book called You Can Heal Your Life. And she was the founder and creator of Uh, an incredible movement called Hay House. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with Hay House, it's become one of the largest publishing companies for um, thought leaders and wellness providers around the world. And they just produce a ton of books. Another mentor, Wayne Dyer, was part of Hay House as well. And Louise Hay was just a visionary, somebody that really lived what she spoke. 
and somebody really that came up with the idea of loving ourselves, I think, and maybe not coming up with the idea, but really making that idea accessible to the masses. Uh, this past week, we were celebrating the, the passing of Louise Hay into the other side. She uh, passed away last year. Um, I'm not sure when you're listening to this, but that's what's happening in the world right now as I record this. And so um, to start off the podcast today, I wanted to share a poem that was written by Louise Hay for you, and uh, we'll follow that with the interview with this dear new friend of mine, uh, Joanne Clausen, who to me really reminds me actually of a, a living version of Louise Hay. So she'll share more about that in a minute. So this poem by Louise Hay goes like this. In the infinity of life where I am, all is perfect, whole, and complete. The past has no power over me because I'm willing to learn and to change. I see the past as necessary to bring me to where I am today. I am willing to begin where I am right now, to clean the rooms of my mental house. I know it does not matter where I start, so I now begin with the smallest and easiest rooms and in that way, I will see results quickly. I'm thrilled to be in the middle of this adventure, for I know I will never go through this particular experience again. I am willing to set myself free. All is well in my world. And that's written by Louise L. Hay. If you haven't read the book, You Can Heal Your Life, I highly, highly suggest you go pick up a copy. Along with that, you might want to pick up a copy of the book Tools of Transformation as well by Joanne Clausen, who we are about to meet here on the podcast. So get ready to meet this incredible woman that I've been speaking about, Joanne Clausen. All right, I am sitting in Osborne Village, Winnipeg, around Osborne Village. And if you don't know this area, it is one of the most creative areas of the city, in my opinion. And I'm in this beautiful apartment. And it just feels literally to me like the closest thing to sitting with somebody that would emulate one of my mentors, Louise Hay. Um, I recently met Joanne Clausen, this incredible woman. Um, probably a few months ago, I became aware that our circles were actually unconsciously crossing for so long. And we've become friends and we've been talking and there's just so much synergy. And I'm just so excited to introduce you guys to Joanne. She's one of the most incredible women I know. She comes with a whole wide range of um, background experience in so many different ways, but some of the main things that I, I've come to learn about her, she's a, a psychotherapist, she's a, a writer, um, she's going to tell us all about how she writes from the heart and the transformation that happens when that takes place. She's been doing courses, teaching workshops all around the world, written books, Oh, I could go on and on, but she's going to share more and more about how incredible this work is and how she came to all this. So, Joanne, thanks for being here. Oh, I'm, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Keith. I am just so thrilled that you're here with me on this podcast. Thank you. Um, where do we begin? It's just, I want to dance with you for the next bit because dancing with you is so fun. <laughs> Thank you. And I, I'm glad you think of it as dancing because it seems like we're learning new steps and inventing new steps with each moment that we talk. So hopefully that will happen for people that listen to our podcast too, yeah. is that making connections be thing, between things that we didn't see a connection. 
before. Yeah. Uh, for example, that you lived just within a block of my house for such a long time, and we didn't know each other. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Like, I, I had no idea. And then when you said you lived on the same street as me as I was growing up, like, I think it was like eight or nine numbers down from me. Just yeah. unbelievable how that's all connected. Yeah. So thank you for being here in my life consciously now. And um, I'd love for you just to start by sharing a little bit about the work you do, the work you've done, how you arrived here sitting in this armchair just chilling out with me on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> okay, let's start with this week because that, it's been a full week. It's been a week of dreams coming true. You know, when something you've worked on and you've thought for mm, at least a half dozen times, maybe this isn't going to work out. Maybe all this work is not going to come to anything. Wow. And that's what the last three years of developing my first e-course have been. It, it's been, uh, I felt like a bride that came to the altar <laughs> several times. <laughs> and uh, it didn't actually result in a marriage. Uh, oh, wow. So I'd had a number of resources come into my path that seemed perfect to help move this uh, idea, this dream of uh, first e-course to reach students around the world without having to travel there, oh. be able to bring the richness of some of the transformative life writing process, which is the work that I do. We call it learning that changes lives. So I had made a decision a few years ago when I was teaching in our European center in England that I didn't want to make that trip. After It was the eighth trip and I didn't want to make that trip again. I'd trained facilitators. They were all equipped to be able to, to carry the work. To, they were from seven different countries. I also felt really guilty about all the trees that we were <laughs> using paper like mm. crazy in the workshop, carrying a heavy workshop bag. I'm sure one arm is longer than the other <laughs> after all these years. And I said, I'd like to do a paperless workshop. Wow. And my... A co-facilitator looked at me and she said, hmm, I wonder how we could do that. And now three years later, on Monday of this week, the European Center launched the first e-course with students, again, from seven countries. And oh, wow. so it was, it was really delightful. That's amazing. So Congratulations. Thank you. Can I appreciate that. Can you share a little bit um, for people that are just meeting you for the first time here, um, what this course is about and some of the work that you facilitate in the world. It's amazing to me. Well, all the work that I do is based on a single cornerstone, and that cornerstone is awareness. So maybe if you and I and possibly whoever's listening to this would think for just a moment, uh, if we had a 10-year-old sitting here with us, and, of course, we have your 10-year-old inside of you and mine with me here, too. That curious part of ourselves that really wants to know, how would you describe what awareness means? Wow, like in this moment? Right yeah, now? whatever. Anybody. Mm. Wow, that is such a good question. Awareness. Um, the first word that popped in my mind was, like, being. Mm. Just being. Being here. Mm -hmm. Presence. Mm -hmm. How about you? Well, presence is one for sure. It's one of my top words. Um, it's alert. It's awake. It's, you know, noticing, paying attention. Um, so all of the work that um, I do is based on awareness. And we say awareness is power. It gives us the power to choose whatever our focus will be in that moment. Wow. 
It gives us the power then to change whatever our focus will be in that moment. It gives us the power to create a new focus. And it gives us the power to appreciate. So we go from awareness um, to choose, to change, to create, ah, and to appreciate, which of course changes our body, uh, what our body's doing at a chemical level. So it's also based on just five minutes. Everything in transformative life writing is based on just five minutes, although we have quite a few tools that we use for just two minutes. Wow. Um, but anything beyond that is just going for five more. But it's always the first five that are very hard uh, in the flow of life to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to take just five minutes. And that seems to be manageable. Oh, that's amazing. And just for the background of this, I, I get the sense a lot of the modality is in actual writing. Well... Is that correct? Uh, uh, part of it is. Part of it. Mm-hmm. Tell that's me more. right. <laughs> Say more. Mm-hmm. It's for... it, And I really wish the word writing weren't there, although writing is part of the vehicle. Okay. And uh, because when we think of writing, let me ask you, what do you think of when you think of writing? And I ask the people listening on the podcast, what are the, f- just like we did with awareness, what pops up when you think of writing? Oh, I th- think right away of being back in grade school, having, getting marked on, is this creative enough? Is this, is my punctuation and spelling good enough? And all that goes with that comes mm. up right away when I think of that. That's why I wish we didn't have writing in the name (laughs) of this practice, because it does have baggage. And I'm left-handed. We were just talking about that before the podcast. Learning to write and also learning the meaning of letters was really not easy for me. And I can remember the boy next to me and reading Run, Spot, Run from a book called Dick Jane, uh, Dick and Jane Reader. I remember that. He said, Run, Spot, Run. And I, Joanne, your turn. And I said, run, spot, run. And the teacher said, no, that's wrong. And I thought, why was it right when Billy said it and it was wrong when I said it? I had no idea what those letters on the page meant. And I thought it was a dirty trick that the first letter of two main components of this story were started with the letter S, Sally and Spot. So if I had to guess when I saw that S, whether it was Spot or Sally, it was very true challenging. I was at least wrong 50% of the time. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so reading and writing comes for each of us with a bit of baggage. And there always was a right way to do it. And if we didn't, the red pen came our way with a correction of what what was wrong. Mm. So um, when we're writing, first thing is it's a no red pen approach. It's an opportunity to encounter ourselves on the page as much like Anne Frank did with Kitty in her famous book, Diary of a Young Girl. She wrote her deepest, innermost thoughts and feelings and observations about life to a fictitious friend called Kitty. Mm. And when she did that, she felt a whole lot less alone. And for all of us who have moments where we feel alone or (laughs) sometimes longer periods where we feel alone. Writing is a way of coming home to ourselves. So it's a mindfulness practice. 
and it is done with always starting with awareness. So when you say um, it's primarily writing or something like that, um, no, it's it's primarily awareness, and writing is the vehicle for capturing, being able to examine. So the process, without getting too complex, is to start by naming our experience in the present moment without shame. What wow, without shame? So we name without shame whatever it is that we're feeling, whatever it is that's with us in that moment. The f- first point it's one of five, so I, I like things with five because I can use my hand. Hmm. So name without shame. And then the second, may have done that on a paragraph or a sentence or a page or a whole journal. There were years where I could only journal in my early, earlier years, where I had to name my experience. It was like venting or putting it out, making it real, taking it out of inside and putting it outside. So that's what naming is about. And the second step is claiming. So claiming is, this is done without, so name without shame, claim without blame. Oh, absolutely. It just is what it is. It is. It is what it is. And that means not blaming anyone else or ourselves. And this was a a tough uh, step for me. My first sentence was, Judy done it. Uh, <laughs> I was <yeah>. a natural born <laughs> blamer. Okay. <laughs> I had an older sister, <laughs> one year older, so Judy done it. I don't know who you've tended to blame for things. Some people, <laughs> you know, it's not my karma, but whatever it is. But to, to claim it, which means then we're moving in the direction of having a little bit more power with yeah. the situation. Name it without shame, claim it without, without blame. blame. Mm-hmm. Then, then the third step is to tame it is what silly, um, what I call self-inflicted nonsense, our own sins against ourselves. What self-inflicted nonsense story am I telling myself? Where's a limiting belief that would bring about this particular experience in this moment? Oh, interesting. So you've named it without shame. You've claimed it without blame. You've tamed it without complaining about it. You're just looking at it. Oh, yeah. And then the fourth is to reframe it. What do I want instead of this? Quick shift. Instead of this, what do I want instead? Right. And that's done without explaining. Nobody else. No excuse. No. Or no yeah. backup plan. Just Yeah, I don't need to explain what I'm doing here. This is in integrity for me. And it's always just for me. That's the only person we're writing for. That audience of one, tell ourselves the truth, guide ourselves beyond where we are to the next stage. And the last is a pretty simple one. And that's to proclaim it without restraining and that's what an affirmation, of course, when you mention Louise Hay, the queen of affirmations, yeah. that to proclaim that new reality. So in five minutes, we can go from something from long ago, maybe a traumatic experience uh, as far back as childhood, to name it, claim it, tame it, reframe it, and proclaim the new reality that we're going for. I love that. Or it could be yesterday, you know, or this morning, the argument with my husband. There wasn't one before you worry. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) He's at the gym. Uh, We're safe. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) But you can claim it if you want with no judgment. That's incredible. What a formula. And how did this, like, come through to you to, to pass this on to people? Like, how did this all come about? 
Okay, I feel a little self-conscious about this question. Um, I had been to a funeral 20 years ago. It was a good, good friend, colleague of mine. We'd sat together at a, a dinner. Uh, it was a annual meeting dinner, one of those fancy things at a hotel okay. downtown at the Fort Gary. Where the food might not necessarily be real. Yeah, that, that was that rubber chicken. Okay, rubber chicken, okay. <laughs> so I'm sitting with Norm, and Norm says, Joanne, next year I'm retiring. In fact, I think it was less than a year. And I said, what are you going to do, Norm? You've had such a varied and amazing career. He was, he'd been a rodeo cowboy. He was an alcohol uh, counselor. He ran employee assistance programs for the Alcohol Foundation. He was, he owned a a drugstore. He was a, a really wonderful and interesting man. And he'd helped so many people. And he said, well, I'm going to take a page out of your book. I'm going to write about my life. And I said, that's a wonderful idea. And he said, well, I don't know if my stories would help anybody else, but I have a feeling it would help me to write them. And so I was very excited for him. And two days later, I got a call from his wife. He got up in the morning. He had a brain aneurysm, and he had died. Now, he lived just a couple condos down Wellington Crescent from me. Wow. And I went to his funeral on Friday of that week. And at his funeral, his brother, who clearly didn't think much of Norm, stood up and said, Norm was a hard man to love. And he went through lots of lots of stories about how hard his brother had been to love. And I left distraught. Mm. And I realized that in the big patchwork quilt of our lives, people know us in so many different ways. His brother knew one small dark square of a massive life and writing gives us a chance to put some of those bigger pieces together i my husband picked me up we drove to our cottage about an hour from winnipeg on the lake and i didn't sleep very well i didn't feel like talking and the next morning i woke up with a vision for the transformative process and a vision for something called Heartspace Writing School. Wow. So I wrote for about three, three and a half hours, and it was sort of like a blueprint for a building, only it was a writing school that would be in five colleges and universities and in seven countries, and this is how it would go, and this is the work it was based on, and I felt like Moses getting the Ten Commandments. I didn't (laughs) know what to do with this. Are you sure you've got the right person? (laughs) What a download just (laughs) coming in. So that's that's how this work came about. I was in awe of that 20 years ago. Uh, September this month, it was 20 years ago, the first classes were held. They were nine months long. It was like giving birth to a new part of yourself. And then for the next many years, we've um, continued, and it's changed and moved in new directions like the e-courses this year. Yeah, just giving birth to this new format of teaching this and sharing this. Yeah, I'm just intrigued by that. um, I also keep getting this intuition as we're talking to ask you a little bit about this part of you that loves to play. Mm. Because um, when I first met you and recently, you just said, like, I'm going to some play camp or whatnot. And, and you talk a lot about the inner child. And I'd love for you to just share some of that because it's really oh. inspiring. Okay. Let me now I'm going to go back further than 20 years, quite a bit further. Okay. Um, 
I was in my 20s, and I had moved to Winnipeg from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, my husband and I had fallen in love. It took us quite a while to figure out what to do with that after <laughs> I got here. Okay. Um, I was at a very low point in my life, and a flyer, brochure, pamphlet came in the mail, and it was called Living Now. And it was Carl Rogers, who was a, a psychotherapist whose work I had studied. He was doing a seminar in La Jolla, California called Living Now. And there were people invited from around the world. And I looked at it and I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to start living now. Mm. So I called. I could get a regi my registration, close my eyes, gave him my visa number, crossed my fingers. All went well. And I went. And in the first session of this Carl Rogers Living Now seminar, small group, about 80 people, he said, <coughs> I have observed that studying people around the world that most adults are guilty of child abuse. Wow. And then he went on to say, I'm talking about the most precious resource in all of humanity, the little boy or little girl that lives inside of each hardworking, responsible man and woman. And he talked about it as a global epidemic. And he said, this is the torchbearer of the human spirit that we are addressing. And I thought, if they put people in jail for internal child abuse, I would probably be serving a very long sentence because I had tried to be that hardworking, responsible, um, caring, loving, and I had kind of left myself out of the equation. Hmm. So I had gone through a divorce, I had moved, I was trying, you know, starting a human development center in Winnipeg, and I realized that my job one, probably for the rest of my life, would be to make it up to that little girl inside of me, who I had ignored and put off. I can even remember my own daughter, Tiffany, my oldest daughter, when she was about three, she'd be talking to me and I'd be doing two or three things at the same time. She would literally put my f her hands on either side of my face and hold it so I would look at her and listen to her. And that's really what, when I, when you observe this woman in one of the later chapters of her life, I am playing and my my commitment is to listen to that child within and address whatever it is that is her idea and it almost always leads me along a good path. Wow. Now, I, I heard a speaker who said, be sure to put the baby in the back seat so <laughs> that she's not driving. Okay. And I do think that's a really important thing is to listen to our own inner child. Yes, I have colors and stickers and things. Are they for my grandchildren? No, actually, I'll let them use them, but these are for me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, so when you say put the baby in the back seat. Okay, if I'm driving, um, I will put the car seat. Uh, yesterday I had a toddler uh, that for the day, a little wonderful guy named Aliseo, and I put his car seat in the back seat. I put Aliseo in the back seat. I listen to Aliseo. I make sure he's comfortable and that he has everything that he needs because it can be very distracting yes. if he doesn't have what he needs. And then I get in the front seat and I drive the car. Oh, so such is the way with our inner child. Yes. I'm, I'm driving the adult part of me, the 
the aware and conscious part of me and the knowing more than a, the child knows. Child's an excellent observer, but a very poor interpreter. Right. So um, I am the adult in charge, and I will drive this car through life. I will be the one steering. I will be the one watching for all the hazards and, and so forth. Um, but I, I do have that baby safely with me in the back seat, and I'm attending to her needs, which oh, the yes. price the price of not doing so is just too great. Absolutely. And as you're speaking about this, what's coming up is I'm also thinking about um, what I recently wrote, too. Just the It reminds me of the, the conversation that happens between our conscious thinking mind, the part of us that is the, perhaps the adult or decision maker, and this unconscious part of us, the which I would say in some ways is like an inner child, that it, you know, and mm-hmm the conversation between these two. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about how so often so many of us are conditioned to not pay attention to that unconscious part. And we just kind of override it with our decision-making conscious part. That's like, I got to get things done, do more, be more, get more, get ahead. And we like neglect the emotional, the intuitive, the, the part that I just am so intrigued that you tap into so much here. It, it had to be a very conscious decision, and I've paid a very high price. Uh, today I'm healthy, strong, flexible, uh, energetic, but that wasn't the case in my 40s and 50s, um, wow. you know, because the, my body w- was trying to tell me, we're on the wrong track, stop. Right. But, uh, and when you say that, that knowing unconscious, I think of Jesus saying, um, let the little children come to me, and you have to become like a little child uh, to enter the kingdom of heaven or the fullness of life. And so when we're trying to figure it all out, I think it may be you from whom I got uh, ego uh, edging God out. And that was directly from Wayne Dyer. Yeah, okay, well, Wayne it, get, it, get it from Wayne Dyer, get it yeah. from Keith McPherson, the same. <laughs> they come. Yeah. But that that idea when I am edging out the sacred I'm not trusting that inner voice that inner knowing that larger consciousness that's available to me when I the the as you say the adult decision-making part is trying to figure it all out without listening yeah and I'm as you're saying would you say the sacred comes through the inner child I know it comes through the innocence of trusting, surrendering. I know that. Uh-huh. And I'm I'm not sure how everyone would characterize it. For me, yes. it is that little being within me. Um, so in my early days, I studied uh, way back. Uh, Eric Byrne came up with something he called transactional analysis. And he talked about how visible and how easy it was to detect when someone was in their uh, various, he called them ego states. So there's the the natural child that is exuberant and innocent and curious. Then there's the fearful child that is exactly that, cautious, hesitant, um, and needing reassurance. Mm -hmm. But then there's the adult, which is the computer-like part that calculates probabilities and it really doesn't have a lot of rules or feelings and then there's the nurturing parent that is loving and accepting and um, giving and generous and then the critical parent and we all know about that you call Mm. it the saboteur and uh, the censor the inner critic 
And we've talked about how that comes up in writing, Absolutely. that, you know, we have that bit of baggage with the word writing. Um, so ba- the grand balancing act of listening to each of those parts. Yeah. And for me, the part that was most seriously neglected and not cared for was the natural inner child. And so my life, my mission in life is to celebrate love uh, listen to and introduce other people to. Oh, it's just so cool. And how do you do that? How are some of the ways that you honor the inner child in, in play? Mm. Uh, when I get up in the morning, the first thing I uh, do is very elemental. I light a white, tall white taper candle because she loves fire. Campfires were always summer fun for my family. Mm. Um, We'd go, we'd sit around a campfire, so I light the campfire. People have also always shared their stories around the campfire. And so in my classes, there's always the the candle lit for people to remember, to tell their stories to one another. It's also a very spiritual symbol for me um, that there is a light inside of each one of us. And sometimes it burns brightly, and other times it wavers. Sometimes it feels like it goes out. So it, it's also a reminder that as we sit here and do this podcast, our inner light is something that we want to be aware of and conscious of and celebrate. I love this. I, I light a candle every morning as well in my practice, and I've never correlated that to the inner light. It's mm-hmm. a, what an, And we're sitting here looking at this candle, if you're listening, and if you can even just imagine a candle of this inner light, it's, um, wow, that's a great way to connect to that place. Yeah, I did it when I had an office. I'd go in and light the candle every morning. It's, it is a gift to my inner child. I know she loves fire. Yeah. And I, so I always have plants. I always have flowers. I always have, it's the elements of the earth, you know, that if there's fire, if there's air, if there's water, mm. um, we have things that are earth, there's things that are growing around us. And usually the child's very simple. We don't need much in the way of complicated things, but there are very few things. And that happens to be my child. Wow. That's amazing. There's, I'm loaded with questions that are coming through as you're talking. One to me is, this is a pretty loaded one, I think, is just why do you suspect we're here in this physical form right now? Like, why, why are we here and why are we trying to make sense of all of this stuff? That's just coming through to ask. Mm, I, my personal belief yeah, is that we know. are here for the delight of spirit, of creator, of the life force, that in order to express in this plane, on this level, uh, it needs to individuate it as each one of us. And so we are here for the delight of spirit. And each one of us is a way of spirit expressing itself uh, in the world as us. Um, so it's uh, it seems to me <laughs> that... that Um, we are each an intentional, individualized expression of the life force that created us. Wow. How incredible is that, that we're all dancing as spirit in different ways and with Mm -hmm. different gifts that are coming into the world. It's it's like it gives me chills thinking about the power of that Mm -hmm. in this moment, too, and the awareness of that in this moment as well. It's so Mm -hmm. powerful. Oh, where do we go from here? Spirit? <laughs> There's so many pieces. I, you know, another piece I'm really curious about is um, last time we were talking, you'd mentioned 
that you had released a book around the same time as, as Louise Hay, who's one of my mentors. Any experiences with her or stories around that? That I'd just love to hear that from my own personal Oh, excitement. and Louise Hay is one of my personal heroes. Um, in 1984, 1985, my first book came out. It was called Learning to Live, Learning to Love. Mm. And um, at the same year, and the same publisher as someone who's quite well known for his Chicken Soup for the Soul oh, yeah. series, Jack, Jack Hanfield. Yeah. So he, he had written a book on self-esteem. Mine was on learning to love and accept ourselves, others, and life in, in a particular way. And so I, Jack and hit my book, and then a few years later, someone gave me Louise Hay's book, um, and um, You Can Heal Your Life. And it has a big heart on the front of it. Yeah, it does. And so I was very happy to receive her book, and I was so um, enamored with the synchronicity of our thought and ideas, and that the, our books had come out the same year. And uh, so <laughs> I wrote to her. I sent her a copy of my book. She wrote back a lovely letter saying, your book is on my nightstand. I love it. Wow. And then I was in California, and I saw that she was going to be there at a retreat center called Asilomar. Uh, which I love that place, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so I decided once again, close my eyes, <sighs> give them my visa number, and off I went. And we had the chance to sit and talk and laugh and share a story. And so from that point on, we, you know, there was a... A connection. Her work has made such an enormous impact on my world and the world of so many people. Yeah. And I think someone else says this at the at the beginning of uh, "You Can Heal Your Life." It is a desert island book. If you were going to a desert island <laughs> and you had to pick just one book to lay your hands on and and bring it with you, it might be that book. Oh, and yeah. I would say that You Can Heal Your Life and Louise Hayes' work. I still listen to her in the morning when I'm getting dressed for work and when I'm combing my hair and putting my makeup on. Um, that's one of my practices. Listening is a, a practice for me as opposed to reading sometimes yeah. and being told. So listening to her podcasts on YouTube um, is one of my favorite practices. She's like so here right now and she's passed on to the other side, but I so feel her presence as we're talking and I can actually even hear her voice right now. And she's saying, tell them more about Louise play. <laughs> she wants to hear about the, the playful part. And I, can you share a bit about this camp you went to as well? Oh, oh yeah. I'd she's, be happy she's like, to tell them about the camp. Okay. I can hear her saying but it. So. In, in, um, uh, Tribute to Louise Hay. Er, Hi, Louise. <laughs> You're Hi here. Louise. I know she's here, too. In her early days, working with AIDS uh, folks, she called those gatherings hay rides. Right. And she she was so much about play herself. Um, and I just want to say that some people think, oh, that's childish or that's childlike, but she had an appreciation for our guardianship, custodianship, love for our inner child, that it's never, it's always a part of us. It's not something that grows up. And into her last days, she was still honoring and taking care of that child part of her. I, you ask about the camp, 
I had been visualizing myself in a kayak on dark water. It wasn't a large body of water like our prairie ocean, Lake Winnipeg. It it was a, a dark, slower moving body of water. And I was also picturing myself around the campfire. And I, I don't have a cottage anymore. I didn't know how this was gonna happen. And into my inbox came a little notice of something called Camp Kid again. And I went, clicked on it, and the first image that came up was a woman, dark body of water, in a kayak, and then a group of people around a campfire. And I, so I knew, again, this was for me, and so I signed up for Camp Kid again. Yeah. In July, I was at Camp Kid again. It was a sleepaway camp. It was to honor the child through play. Um, in a very wonderfully adult way, we each had our own. It wasn't like the camp that I used to go to when I was a kid, you know. <laughs> what was different? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, there weren't 12 kids in a room with mosquitoes and people putting little garter snakes in your sleeping bag. Oh, nice. <laughs> Things like that. It was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> and the food, well, I eat a particular kind of diet, and all of the food was geared to everyone's diet. It was gourmet food made for us. We each had our own room. Wow. There was the campfire. There was the water. There were toys like wonderful kayaks and tubes to go down the Pinawa Channel mm. and paddle boards and bikes and, you know, hammocks and so forth. But uh, it was to fill the cup of childhood with painting activities. And it was, we were always at choice as to what we did, but we were royally treated. And it was I made new friends. When my daughter went to kindergarten, she came running home from Grosvenor School and said, Mom, I have friends, and you can uh, have, have them too. So that's how I felt coming home from camp. I have friends, and you can have them too. I wanted everybody to meet my new friends. Oh, that's so, so. fun. I love this. Can anybody go to this camp? Or is mm, it just... This one, was, <laughs> this one was intended for midlife women. Okay. But... Uh, the person who leads it is Patty Hudson, and her whole career has been in play, recreation and play and sports and wow. that type of thing. And uh, so she is. She and her partner bought a house that they call the Playhouse. Oh, wonderful! And they do play shops, not workshops. Oh, so I, yes. I just love that you got to experience that, and it's just such a reminder as I'm hearing you talk about it that this doesn't have to be when you get really old to go to this camp kid again you can go there every day like you could actually live from this place of of being an inner child and letting that inform how you're going to move through the world I've, I've actually heard you say this um i don't do things that my inner child like cringes at or don't do that like you really really honor that place i literally can't you know i i, I remember when i was doing um employee assistance counseling yeah. And I was at my cottage. It was my daughter's maybe a birthday or something. And I had to leave with a beeper and go and take a call for someone in crisis. And it took well over an hour in the middle of a two-hour party. Wow. And I went into my office the next day and told my business partner, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. And I can't. And she honored that. And we yeah. went on to do... Uh, something else. We helped another company set up employee assistance programs, and they're much bigger and much more successful than we probably would have ever been. I really honor that in you, though, that you you honor that place so much so, I suspect that, I mean, that's a quite a vulnerable thing sometimes to actually say no when your inner child's saying no, but the outer world's saying, well, no, you're supposed to say yes. 
And somehow you navigate through and go, no, this is my truth, and to stand in it. If I didn't hold hands with spirit, that would be impossible. Because if I had to figure it out, my business partner said, how are we going to pay our mortgages? <laughs> right. <laughs> I said, I don't know. But yeah. I know that um, I don't have to be the one that knows. So and Surrendering. Yeah, that that's right. After our last meeting, Keith, I came... <laughs> home and started writing and John Denver wanted me to hear him sing sweet sweet surrender live live without care like a fish in the water like a bird in the air oh and then you sent me the that as an email the lyrics to that song and said John Denver any significance and what blew me away was that was the first artist I used to listen to when I was growing up as a kid my grandparents had an old reel to reel and I used to just sit in front of this reel-to-reel machine, and John Denver would play. And when, when the reel-to-reel was done, I'd say, more, I want to hear Don Denver. Aww. And he was just um, such an amazing spirit as well. And so the fact that you had emailed me that, that song with those lyrics and just the connection without even knowing that, I just feel like when you surrender, as John might sing about, it's like the pieces just somehow align. This is what you're talking about, I suspect, when you say holding hands with spirit. Mm-hmm. is to surrender and allow and trust that inner place. Mm, yeah. There's such good sentiments. You live this. I so see it in you, and I love that about you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's a pleasure to sp- share the, these moments with you on it, the podcast. It is. Thank you for, for joining us here. I, um, I'd love to just, uh, as we end this, share with people where they can find you, and if people are interested in um, perhaps taking either the e-course or a live course or just even learning more about this, what's the best way to stay in touch with you? Mm, well, it's Joanne Clausen. Joanne, your fan, I say. Um, <laughs> and the company's called HeartSpace. And if you Google HeartSpace, HeartSpace Writing School, uh, it's we call it the home of transformative life writing, learning that changes lives. And the book is called Tools of Transformation, the book that we use in the classes. It's an e-book. It's something I think you can even download a sample of it for free if you want. And they're all five-minute strategies for awareness and turning within. Wow. Tools for transformation. Mm-hmm. Tools of transformation. Tools of transformation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Definitely go pick that up as well. Mm-hmm. And Google HeartSpace. This is going to transform your life. Just sitting with this woman in her presence. Their spirit <laughs> flows in. You, couldn't, you can't turn it off. It's like amazing. So thank you for sharing all of this and being here and just gracing us with your presence on the podcast today, Joanne. Thank you, Keith. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. Well, that concludes this week's podcast, Let's Connect. I hope Joanne's words of wisdom channeled through to you and you're feeling a lot more inspired and connected to that place of play in your inner child. Just a reminder again to visit ponolifeschools.com and sign up for your daily intention to find the child in you as well. I look forward to seeing you again soon, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. Have a wonderful week.